Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 to 9. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So we are taking time out today uh, in tribute to mothers, and here we come to this passage of scripture in which we have a mother addressing her son, and from the passage we see that he is a king. And who can tell the enormous impacting influence that many a mother, particularly a godly Christian mother, has had on the life course of some of the greatest leaders this world has ever seen. Talk about Monica, the mother of the famed theologian Augustine, some refer to as St. Augustine. In his Confessions, Augustine writes at length about his mother's influence on his life. He tells of how she prayed for him. He was brought to Christ by the prayers of his mother, Monica. There was Susanna Wesley, the mother of the world-renowned preachers, John and Charles Wesley. Someone as well said, quote, a mother's motherly ministry is the tenderest, the strongest, most influential, influential of all the divine ministers of the world. But when the ministry is the expression of a genuinely religious nature, and specially inspired by heaven, its character is more elevated and its influence more beneficent and lasting. End quote. The Bible addresses the role of the mother in the home. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 14 teaches that hers is the responsibility of managing her household. In scripture, the home and the family are set forth as her God-given spheres in which she is to positively influence her children for good. And as we know, children need discipline and direction for their lives. 
Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 teaches, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And parents are responsible for seeing to such training. Under God, they have the responsibility of molding, of shaping the character of their children, and who is generally regarded as having the greater patience, the greater measure of tenderness and nurturing spirit for such a task than a mother. And what what should children be taught in the home? They should be taught sound moral and spiritual principles for living, such as found in Scripture, the Word of God, the function of which is to teach, reprove, rebuke, to correct and train in righteousness. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And it is in this way, in this way, that children will be equipped for responsible living in this world. Indeed, this is the way they'll have their powers of discernment trained so as to distinguish good from evil. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 so as to know how to refuse the evil and choose the good, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 16. And mothers in particular will diligently see to the proper upbringing of their children, just as Timothy was influenced by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Through the godly influence of these two women, Timothy had been acquainted with the scriptures from childhood. We learn from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, so that he became the man of God that he was. And godly mothers will take up this responsibility of training, of disciplining their children, realizing that whoever spares the rod hates the son, but he who loves him will be diligent to discipline him. So says the word of God. That whereas the rod and reproof give wisdom, a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15. And here in our text, we see the mother of King Lemuel faithfully instructing him in the way of right choices. Who was this King Lemuel? His identity has been a matter of debate among Bible scholars, largely on the grounds that there was no known King Lemuel in Judah nor Israel, and that there was no known historical record from the surrounding nations of such a person. In fact, of that name, there are those who suggest that Lemuel was a nickname for King Solomon, who authored most of Proverbs. In fact, according to the Talmud, a collection of writings on the oral tradition of the early rabbis, both Agar mentioned in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 1, and Lemuel mentioned here in Proverbs chapter 31, were alternative names for Solomon. 
And that the name Lemuel means unto God in the sense of being dedicated or devoted to God, coupled with the fact that the Lord loved Solomon from infancy, 2 Samuel 12, verse 25. That is seen by some as further indication that Solomon was the one who was being addressed here by his mother, Bathsheba, here in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. Indeed, those warnings she issues to him, gives him, given in verses 3 and following, fit perfectly with what we know from Scripture of Solomon's proclivities. But at the end of the day, any conclusion that it was Solomon has to be what it is, pure speculation. At any rate, we have in this passage a beautiful, inspiring model of responsible, what I'd call responsible parental guidance. Here we see a mother giving her son very wise counsel. In earlier chapters of the book of Proverbs, it was the father who was instructing his son. Here in Proverbs chapter 31, it is the mother who is heard instructing her son. And this underscores the truth of scripture that both parents under God have the responsibility of bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mother as well as father are charged by God with the responsibility of rearing their children in the nurture and fear of the Lord. Well, verse 1 of our text begins, The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. The word oracle connotes the idea of a divine utterance. And as used here, it suggests that the words of instruction that are being given by this mother to her son Lemuel were not merely her ideas, her wishes, but rather they were directives the Lord would have him follow. In other words, Lemuel should heed what his mom was saying to him because they bore the stamp of divine authority. She was giving him counsel that was in accord with the word of God. And may I suggest this, you know this very well, that good parenting skills, we could say, involves, among other things, getting our children to understand that our directives, that the instructions we give to them, are not merely our instructions, but they bear the stamp of divine sanction. Of course, provided we can say that, provided we ensure that the things we are telling them to do, the directives we are giving them, are very much in line with the word of God. In verse 2, we have the introductory statement of King Lemuel's mother to him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Three times Lemuel's mother addressed him in an exclamatory fashion with just a single Hebrew word, which is literally translated what. 
And the force of the exclamation would go something like this. What in the world are you doing? It's as though she's saying to Lemuel, her son, Son, what's wrong with you? You recall a time when your mother spoke to you like that. And suggested here is the, the firmness, the sternness of this mother. Suggested here is that she saw him in certain habits, certain tendencies, possessing certain tendencies which were out of character for him as one who was to be ruler of God's people. As she looked at his life, she observed certain tendencies in him which needed to be addressed. She discovered that he was not going in the right direction. Certainly we can say of this mother that her priority was not winning her son's friendship. Many a parent makes the mistake that their children are supposed to be their friends. And what happens is that when it comes to those times when they should be pointing out the errors of their children, in order not to lose favor with them, in order not to lose that friendship with them, they remain silent and hence are complicit with their sins. Let me say this. You know this very well, but it bears repeating that our children, those particularly who have young children, younger children, or even older children, they are not first and foremost, it's not our first and foremost responsibility to, say, to seek and to get their friendship. Oh, it would be nice if there could be a friendly relationship. But let me say this, that parenting is not essentially about friendship. Parenting is essentially about setting our children on the right course for God. Here's a woman, a mother, who intensely desires to see her son set on the right course in life. And she's of such earnest spirit because she knows that what with the impulses and passions of youth and the temptations that come with power and influence, she knows precisely what her son as king will be up against as he exercises his role as king. And so she wants to drill into his mind. She wants to impress on his heart certain principles that will enable him to withstand the temptation toward excess. That will enable him to ward off the temptation to abuse his position and privilege as king. With tender yet firm godly instruction, King Lemuel's mother seeks to have him conduct himself as the king that he should be, as the one who under God would attend the affairs of his kingdom. She counsels him, she warns him in at least three areas we want to look at this morning. 
And the first area of admonition she gives him concerns the matter of sexual licentiousness. Sexual licentiousness. We see that in verse 3. She warns him against giving his energy to chasing after women. Needless to say, we are living in an age that could be described as a sex-crazed age. It's a sex-crazed culture, so much so that the government has even become involved in it. Advertisements, billboards, Greet us in many different ways, promoting the idea of free sex. And that's a culture in which we live. In fact, we are living in an age of rampant sexual perversion. In modern parlance, this mother was saying, would be saying, don't be given, she's saying to her son, Lemuel, don't be given to the lifestyle of a Don Juan. Don't be some kind of Lothario. <laughs> That's what she's saying. And it is interesting that this mother warns her son against the very vice which has led or by which many are being led astray in our time, and that is sexual licentiousness. It's also significant that this is a woman who is addressing her son. You'd expect, expect that it would be the father. And who better to talk particularly to her son about matters sexual, about how he should conduct himself, than a woman who better could warn him about women than she who was a woman herself. King Lemuel's mother instructs him, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Here he's being cautioned against being a womanizer, against giving his energy to chasing after women. And if the King Lemuel that is referred to here was in fact King Solomon, then throughout the book of Proverbs, we actually hear instructions being given to King Solomon, warning him of the dangers of sexual intemperance. In chapters 2 and 5, he had been warned, that is, if it, were, if, if it was the case, that it was Solomon. He had been warned about the seductiveness and destructiveness of sexual escapades. How that such lifestyle leads to hell. Chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Chapter 5, verses 3 and four, the warning is issued that to take such a path of sexual licentiousness is to actually take a path that leads to Sheol, to take a path that leads away from God to hell. 
Solomon would have learned how that such lifestyle leads not only to hell, but that such lifestyle brings one into disrepute, chapter 5 and verse 9. How that such a lifestyle depletes one's vital energies, chapter 5, verse 10, resulting in disease, chapter 5, verse 11, and resulting, sadly, in agonizing remorse, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. We find similar warnings in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 24 through 35, chapter 7, verses 7 through 27, chapter 9, verse 13 through 18, chapter 22, and verse 14. Here in our text, the wise mother charges her son not to spend his energy in such sinful pursuits. She says, that is the way my son, that destroys kings. And surely Solomon was one such king who, in a manner of speaking, was destroyed by women. Because you know the account following the impressive record of his faith in God and his administrative skills, his zeal for God as king over Israel. We're told in 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 1 through 11, here is what the historian says concerning Solomon. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. That was the word of God to Solomon. Here's what the word of God says, continuing in First Kings chapter 11. Solomon clung to these in love. Verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. But when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Listen to verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, 
but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. You see, the express command of God in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, was that the king, the king was not to multiply wives for himself. Two things he was not to multiply for himself. He was not to multiply horses because his trust was to be completely in God and he was not to multiply wise. Why? Because they would turn his heart away from God. And in clear disobedience to God, Solomon did just that. And Solomon paid dearly for that. In fact, he paid a massive, enormous price, which involved first and foremost, what was the first price that Solomon paid? The first price that Solomon paid for departing from God, for amassing to himself all of these women, was this, he lost his zeal and his fervor, for God. Let me say this. I have observed that this is a fact. It is in line with the word of God. The moment we begin to dabble in sin, the moment we begin to go contrary to God's word, the moment we begin to live in known sins, what is going to happen is that our love for God and our zeal for God is going to be cramped. We cannot serve God and be living in sin. We cannot be serving God and living in sin. It is either we cling to our sins and turn our backs on God, or we serve God and turn our backs on sin. Why? Because we cannot serve God and hold to sin at the same time. The Bible says the Lord was angry with Solomon and the first price he paid was the fact that he lost his zeal, he lost his fervor for God and then secondly, he incurred the splitting of his kingdom in 931 BC. What does the word of God say? The word of God says this, be not deceived, God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. You cannot sow peas and reap corn, according to the word of God. The Bible warns, the Bible issues the danger. In fact, time and again, the word of God will say that if one is living in sin, and particularly here, sexual sins, such a person will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is the plain teaching of the word of God. So the first area that King Solomon is admonished, or rather Lemuel is admonished. If we take it that it's Solomon, it's appropriate for Solomon, certainly. The first area in which his mother cautions him concerns the area of sexual licentiousness. She says, my son, don't go that way. That is the way that destroys kings. Now, the second area of admonition King Lemuel mothers mothers. Give him, gives him, concerns the matter of strong liquor. Strong liquor. First of all, sexual licentiousness. Second, strong liquor. Now we need to make the point here that while the Bible 
does not forbid the use of alcohol. It warns of the excessive, inordinate use of liquor. It warns of the danger of wine and of drunkenness. In fact, Jesus, in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, warns against the heart becoming weighed down with drunkenness such that one is caught off guard at his coming. He says there in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, he says, Take heed, lest at any time your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unawares. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 verse 21 identifies drunkenness as a work of the flesh. He identifies drunkenness as a work of the flesh and he asserts that among other sinners, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. So a person says, well, yes, it's okay to drink, but here's the point. The word of God says that if you're a slave to it, if you're addicted to it so much so that you're given to drunkenness, if that is a way of life, if that is a pattern, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not making this up. This is coming straight from the Bible. The word of God suggests that anything that controls us, anything that controls our minds, anything that controls our lives is an idol because it takes precedence over the love, the passion that we should give to God. And for some people, it is a love, an inordinate love for the bottle. Mother of King Lemuel firmly admonishes him in verses 4 through 7 of Proverbs 31. Here's what this mother says to her son. She says this, verse 4, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. What is this mother saying to her son? She's saying, son, and I don't know if the expression is used here. It's used in the islands. She'll be saying something to him like this, son, don't be a water bird. Is that used here? Don't be a water bird. <laughs> A water bird is a person who drinks by the gallon, the stuff. And if it was in the Caribbean or in Jamaica, she would be saying, son, don't be a water bird. Don't be a guzzler of wine, is what she's saying to her son. You see, this mother rightly understood that God holds to a higher standard kings and all who are in authority and this is in keeping, of course, with the gravity of their responsibility. And this in view of the fact that they hold and trust people's lives and people's well-being, which to a large extent is dependent and is impacted by their decisions. In essence, the point she's getting across to her son is this. That while strong drink may deaden one's physical and emotional pain, it dulls and distorts the senses. 
She's saying to him that strong drink inhibits the proper exercise of one's judgment. In fact, according to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 17, it compromises one's ability to exercise self-control. That is, where a person is taking it in an inordinate, excessive fashion. She's saying it affects your judgment, Lemuel. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17, it diminishes one's ability to live responsibly in connection with the use of one's financial resources. It dries one's pockets, is what she's saying. Indeed, the prophet Hosea declared in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 11, here's what the prophet Isaiah said as he surveyed the social ills of his day. He says this, whoredom, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. Recall that it was a drinking binge that negatively affected King Xerxes, Artaxerxes. As we see in Esther chapter 1 verse 7 as well as verses 10 and 11, it was an account of excessive consumption of wine that he dishonored his wife putting her beauty on public display. He acted dishonorably. He acted shamefully toward his wife. Why? Because read the background to the passage. It was a drinking binge. Wine was being poured out in abundance. And this mother is saying to her son, Son, if you then should be given to drinking then it might result in your forgetting the law. Which, of course, would render you unfit to render judgments that are in accord with truth and right. You see, this mother well knew that a ruler, she knew something that is obvious, that a ruler who is cognitively impaired, who lacks the ability to think clearly, is a ruler who will not be in a position to make sound, wise decisions, is a leader who could potentially land his people and his country into utter disaster. So if King Lemuel was given to strong drink, then his people, particularly the afflicted and the oppressed, would bear the brunt Of his intemperance is what she's suggesting. They would suffer the consequence of his impaired faculties. And hence his mother rightly admonished him regarding the dangers of strong drink. So here we have this mother cautioning cautioning her son regarding the ills, number one, of womanizing, and number two, of giving himself to wine. She says to him, as it were, as king, don't be careless. Do not be careless, my son. Pay attention to your morals, my son. Pay attention to your purity, my son. She's saying to him, take a hold of yourself, of your impulses. Take a hold of your cravings, your lust. If you are to rule over a nation, then you must first know what it is to rule yourself. Don't be given to womanizing. Don't be given to wine-gosling. Such vices are unbecoming of a king who would effectively conduct the business of the state. 
and how we still need mothers. Mothers who today, my friends, will take their sons and their daughters into hand, warning them, warning them of those things that corrupt the mind and defile the body. How we need mothers today who will counsel and caution their children of the harmful effects of intoxicants and illicit sexual activity. You know, we are living in a day and age when our children are being exposed to various kinds of hard drugs. It's a drug epidemic. Many lives are being destroyed. Many minds are being shattered by the prevalence of hard drugs in our time. And then not to mention the massive proportions to which sexual, illicit sexual activity is being promoted in our culture. Who would believe would live to see the day when against the will of their parents, children through our educational system are being exposed to some of the most base depraved forms of sexual perversion. Who would believe would live to see the day when our children under government-backed programs are being given puberty blockers to distort their natural sexual development. We're allowed to undergo surgical procedures designed to quote-unquote transition them into the opposite sex, but which, by the way, is nonsense. It cannot happen. And that in the course of resisting such courses of action, parents are vilified and can even be sued. Who would believe we'll be living in such an age as this? It's an age of craziness. It's an age of madness. It's an age of some of the most unthinkable perversions one could ever imagine. And how we need mothers who will take their daughters, mothers who will take their daughters and will teach them what it is to be what? Ladies. Who will teach them to be girls to begin with and who will teach them what it is to grow up as women. We need mothers who will teach their daughters not to throw themselves at boys, not to be temptresses, not to be tools of seduction. We need mothers who will teach their children, their, their, their daughters, to leave the house properly dressed and not looking like what one might think them to be. How we need mothers who will teach their sons what it is to be men. We need mothers, my friends, who will not be afraid to stand up and to say, listen, act like a man. You are growing. Act responsibly. You are a man. How we need mothers today who will not be complicit with their children. There are many a mother today, many a parent today, who instead of championing the truth of God's word concerning their sons, concerning their daughters, are actually capitulating to the culture, 
celebrating sin, celebrating perversion. And we need mothers, my friends, who will take a stand for God, who will take the word of God, who will teach their children that this is sin, this is wrong, this is right, this is good, and not that. We need that. We need mothers. We need parents like that. This mother admonishes her son concerning the dangers of sexual licentiousness. She admonishes her son concerning the dangers of strong drink, strong liquor. And then finally, she admonishes her son concerning the danger of silent lips. The danger of silent lips. Here's what she says. She says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Among other things, what she's saying to him, she said, don't be a politician. Be a man of God. Be a man of truth. Speak truth. Stand and act justly. Use your office. Use your influence. Use your power not to suppress the good, not to suppress that which is righteous, but to advance the cause of righteousness. Speak up for those who are in need of help. Speak up for those who cannot defend themselves. Do not Call the righteous wicked and do not call the wicked righteous. Stand up for truth. Stand up and be the man that God has called you to be. Oh, my friends, I think as we trust, as we consider these words this morning concerning what it is to be a mother. Some of us have had the opportunity, the blessing of having children pass through our hands. We have seen them grown up. Well, Here's the point. Ours is a responsibility. Maybe not as parents, but as grandparents. And even where one has some kind of influence in the life of some young person. Here's the point. Now is the time we are to be investing the truth of God in their lives. We are to be, as it were, indoctrinating them in the truths of the word of God. I tell you, that's how we're going to spare this world, in a, in a sense. We can't spare this world in another sense, right? But this is the way in which we are going to preserve purity, justice, righteousness, truth, and all that is of God in our generation and the next. May God grant that these things might be so for his name's sake.